0: Innovation goes up as much as 300 or 400%. What happens in the human body when we are feeling a positive emotion? Again, it could be happiness. It could be joy. It could be pleasure. It could be any one of a number of valued, uh, any one of the things that you're talking about connected to purpose. When we feel that way, it seems that the right side of the brain, the right hemisphere of the brain and the left hemisphere of the brain begin communicating better together thereby creating a holistic view of any situation it's as if when you are feeling good your brain literally works better you you could say you're firing on all cylinders and when you're firing on all cylinders and you're able to take that upgraded elevated look at the problem you come up with different solutions same thing happens when you a leader has a is faced with a problem and he or she is able to get the team Uh, into the same heart rate variability. So if we can get people into their hearts, the same kind of thing happens. The entrainment in the team, and you see people get to a deeper level inside themselves, thereby coming up with novel solutions to the problem, rather than just the same old, same old.
1: We're living in a time when you have no choice but to innovate. And for many of us, that's as scary as hell. But it can also be the most exciting adventure. For the first time since World War II, we have the opportunity to change everything, to make our world a better place. For those of us in business, that means making your team and customers' worlds better. I'm Judy Selmans, host of the Engage to Innovate podcast, talking all things innovation. So relax, take some time out from your schedule and immerse yourself in the learnings shared by our guests. So what if you could work happier? What if customers were happier? How would that change your world? We're going to find out today in our chat with Joanna Brandy from Return on Happiness I'm Judy. Today with my co-host, Eric's. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. It's nice to have you here today. We're going to delve into being happy. Yay! What makes us happy and what's the flow on effect of happiness we'll have in our lives and business. Welcome, Joanna. I am really excited and happy to be able to welcome you to our show.
0: I'm pretty thrilled to be here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually think we get the advantage here because... Uh, In New Zealand, it's first thing in the morning, and of course, you're in Florida, so it's later in the day, but we get to start our day in a really happy place, thanks to you, so I think we get the bonus there.
0: And we're having a a grey, rainy afternoon here.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, you know, I actually think grey afternoons can be quite happy places. I quite like that. You can snuggle up inside and and go, it's okay. So, so
2: even Florida has grey days?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. quite a few of them.
2: <laughs> oh, go, well. not the image that's projected, you see. I know our
0: image is that we are perpetually sunny, but that's not always the case.
1: Yeah. So, you know, how how do we get, is there, okay, is there a technique for starting your day? I mean, does happiness start at the beginning?
0: It can. Is there a way to do that? Sure. It's, uh, you know, it's all, it's, it's all got to do with what your intention is. You know, we are not, I've heard it said that we are not responsible for the first thought we have in the morning, because that may come from what you were dreaming or the result of whatever kind of night you have. But the second thought in the morning is yours.
1: You know. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah it, so,
0: makes, it made sense to me too when I read that. And so from the very moment you wake up in the morning, the way you start your day really has oh, a very loud noise outside my window. I'm sorry about that.
1: Oh, okay. Um, That's all right.
0: From the very the very first thoughts you have in the morning really set the tone for your day. So if you are uh, if you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, I've gotta do this, and I've gotta do that, and I've gotta do you know, and drag yourself down from the very beginning with the things you have to do that day, especially if they're not something you want to do, it can really make for a difficult day. If you yeah. wake up in the morning in a in a place of gratitude, you know first the first thing to be grateful for is you woke up yeah. uh, so if you wake up in in a state of gratitude and and for me that took a lot of training but when you wake up and the first thoughts that you choose are thoughts of gratitude are thoughts of um, how can i make this a wonderful day i get to do this rather than i have to do that yeah and begin thinking in such a way that turns on it, it turns the, what we think everything we think turns into a feeling and that feeling turns into a chemical so when you are thinking thoughts of positivity if you will i'm not even going to use the word happiness because there are so many shades of happiness there are so many, right. there's so many positive emotions and somebody asked me uh, just earlier today um how do i define happiness and i and i had to go to the place that said you know happiness is so subjective that what's what happiness for me is maybe very different from your definition of happiness but it's subjective well-being it's when you feel really good no matter what makes you feel really good for me um it has a lot to do with connection whether i'm connecting to a person uh connecting to an idea connecting to a thought connecting to a uh, a principle connecting to the universe connecting through prayer. Uh, it has it has a lot to do with whether or not I feel connected or whether or not I feel alone. Now, to some other people, that would have no relevance.
1: You know, it actually took me, and I'll, I'll be honest and say, I'm quite a deep-thinking person or somewhat used to be, and I think I'm training myself out of that. And, you know, you'd have all these happiness indexes and, you know, you'd have surveys come out regularly that talk about, you know how how happy is the the Australian population, for example, and and you go and you go. Well, what actually is happiness? What what is it? And it seemed this really intangible thing. And then, like you were just saying, I've actually started seriously training myself. In fact, over the last two years, I've made a conscious effort every morning to not make myself happy, but as you said, have appreciation in my life, and it has completely turned around my whole life.
0: And it will do that. And it will do that. And I believe, I think this is why, you know, I'm I'm a deep thinker as well. I'm also not genetically a happy person. According Mm -hmm. to the science, and these numbers have been disputed for the last, I mean, there's a lot of disputing going on around these numbers, but the easy way to say it is that 50% of our happiness is genetic. So we're, mm-hmm. we're born happy or we're born not happy or some shade in between. And for the people that have more than one child, when I ask them, I only have one, uh, but when I ask people who have more than one children, uh, can you tell me whether or not your kids are all alike? And they laugh at me and I say, well, <laughs> perhaps one of them was born bubbly and sparkly and, and you call that child a good baby. And another one was called "was was born cranky and colicky and catch you up at night and the faces and it's fun to watch the faces in the room with when you get that recognition that people just get it at that point people just get it we are born with a disposition and for some of us that disposition is happy we could call it happy um, and for people like me um, I, not much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently when I was born, they knew nothing about lactose intolerance. So when, ah. when a baby's uncomfortable and a baby has colic and that kind of stuff, that baby doesn't get a very positive response. They may get, they may get compassion and empathy from their caregivers, but their caregivers are exhausted. Hmm. And so they get different responses. And so we form our earliest ideas about life from our early caregivers. So someone that gets positive responses all the time because they are always in a positive mood usually continues along in that vein.
1: That's actually quite interesting. So does the half glass half full, half empty scenario? I guess is that that somewhat relates to what you, exactly what you've just been talking about.
0: Somewhat relates to it, and I think what what got me excited when I fr- I first became a happiness coach. I don't know, 17 years ago or something like that. Uh, When I studied with Marty Seligman, uh, I had read one of Marty's books many years before that. It was called Learned Optimism. And when I read that book, I, who thought I was an optimist, discovered I was not. Because optimism (laughs) or pessimism is an explanatory style. So we look at the world and we Explain the world to ourselves. So you may, and that just happened moments ago when you said, "Well, I quite like those rainy days." Yep. And I'm looking out the window, going, "Where is my sunshine?" <laughs> 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 we, we've had a, we've had a number of days where the where the largest portion of the day has been gray and windy. And okay, uh, you've and, had enough. Yeah, I've had <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. So, so it becomes, you know, where we're everything becomes relative. But when we look at how we look at the world, I used to be, and actually I, I like to call myself a recovering pessimist because it reminds me that I always have to look at how I'm explaining the world to myself. Yeah. And that's that's optimism and pessimism thing. A pessimist is going to look at a negative situation. And they're going to feel like it's permanent. Oh, this happens every time. And they're going to feel like it's pervasive. And they're going to take it personally, <laughs> like the sky opened up to rain just because I happen to be on vacation, that kind yeah. of thinking. And an optimist looks at a negative situation as temporary. Oh, you know, it's Florida. In 15 minutes, the weather will change. Uh, and it's, it's temporary. And it's got nothing to do with you personally.
1: You know, so in a team environment, because I've got to be honest, I have always been the the positive person. In fact, I think I drive most people insane around me. So something tragical happen to someone and I'll go, oh, yeah, but look, this is going to happen because of that. And they just look at me as if, my God, woman, you know, stop, this, stop being so annoying. I'm allowed to be unhappy for a moment. I get that all the time. and But I actually can't. Yeah, like I'll get it for a couple of split seconds. Hey, oh, that's a bugger, and and then I move on. But I think I actually really annoy people in a team environment because I'm just like I can't get it. I don't understand why you fixate on it.
0: Well, you know, we we, we need a certain amount of negativity in our lives. We are human, <laughs> uh, and and it plays a negativity plays a very important role because when we are negativity makes us move away from something so you know, when when people are, are are and it's all that built it's all that built-in wiring that we have it's important for us to to recognize when we're in truly in danger and and be able to walk away from it it's important for us to get angry sometimes because that that's a motivating that's a motivating factor in life uh, the problem is that we we take this on and because the world tends to be negative because i i think it is uh because of what we are shown on the media we are not shown happy stories as much as we're shown the negative stuff because what's this what's the saying if it if it bleeds it leads. Yeah. So yeah. we we kind of grew up around that. And there's more drama. You know, we're very dramatic. We're very dramatic. Uh people that are constantly having uh things go wrong they they, they bring up this way big sense of drama in their lives. And that's you know to some of us it's entertaining, uh, but I I find that you know it, that that wears at you. It really does. The the negativity really wears wears at everyone.
1: Oh, absolutely. I I can. You're right. I can listen to it. You know. And, okay, so I'm going to pick on my mother now. Um, and this is not a, a session with me laying on the couch either, by the way. But it's um, it's just you know after a while because there's some people that are just everything that comes out of their mouth is negative and I think that and i w I'm guess I'm gonna pull this back to a work environment. How do you manage to, how can you make everybody or or how do you bring a balance into a team to make them happy in a corporate environment so that we all can contribute and create together?
2: Especially as you I thought as you mentioned, Joanna, that there are shades of happiness. There's not what obviously not one template so yes very keen to hear about how, how you might have these different degrees of happiness within a team
0: well from from the science and i'm uh, now affiliated with the happiest places to work so we actually do research on happiness because happiness is now being considered a kpi so when awesome. we measure happiness what we are what we're measuring is not what you would look at it and say oh she's happy what what we measure is how engaged they are in a healthy way uh whether or not they have autonomy and control over their job whether or not they feel that sense of purpose uh, whether or not they're having pleasure and i think that's what most people when we look at happiness most people think of pleasure but mm-hmm. it's so much more than pleasure and i'll tell you in a moment what what marty's definition is but the um the other things that we uh, measure? Are they getting enough recognition? Uh, are they having pleasant and positive experiences? I, I, you know, I, I, is there some enjoyment to their day? Uh, do they have social support, like friends at work? And is their is there job oriented towards growth for them? Because according to the scientific uh, research on happiness at work, these are the things that really matter to people. And in the end, if they have all these things, they go, yeah, I'm happy at work.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because yeah. I, I guess that's related to, is it not, satisfaction in, in the tasks. And some tasks may be very intense, uh, but the, you know, the satisfaction of actually achieving things through a task, pulling a problem apart, I guess that's kind of where I come from. You know, I, I, I don't mind being presented with something uh even a negative situation, if you could work out a way to turn that into a positive. Uh, and, and while that's not a you know big joyous kind of task at the start, what you get the satisfaction from is actually fixing it.
0: Absolutely, and, and mostly, most of what I teach these days is positive leadership, even though my background is from the customer experience angle. Uh, but really? working in customer experience for 30 years has given me the perspective of the fact that in companies that have great customer experiences and, and support great customer experiences, it always comes from the leadership. So the skill that a leader has uh, in those situations is, well, almost twofold. But uh, the first one is using questions skillfully. So instead of the what's wrong paradigm, the, um, the what's right about this? What can we learn from this? What can we take from this? Uh, Where's the gift in this? The the ability to frame a challenge with with asset-focused questions, with questions that are focused on what's good, what's strong instead of what's wrong. And I think that in many work situations, a large part of the problem is not everybody is well-suited for their job. So if I'm hired for a job that's only using my strengths 40% of the time, the other 60% of the time, I'm dragging myself through it. I don't have energy. I'm not really happy with it. Uh, I know it's part of my job, but I don't know that leaders are yet, and many, of course, many are, but I don't know that across the board, leaders are understanding how to discover someone's strengths and how to match strengths with with a job. Because the jobs are generally, their little boxes that people have said, oh, we need a supervisor over here who does these things. Or we need a dispatcher over here who does these things. And and, um, not necessarily looking at what kind of human strengths are necessary to do that job well. And what perspective does that person have to have in order to find joy in the job?
2: And it's yeah. also true, is it not, that star performers get promoted upwards when, when often they're not actually suited to a managerial role because there's a whole lot else involved in being a manager, whereas as a star performer, they're really happy as, at what they do. But conventional society says, oh, no, you've got to be keeping on promoted upwards.
0: And that is a problem for anybody who's ever gone through that because we take good salespeople and we make them sales managers. It takes an entirely different set of skills to be a good sales manager than it does to be a good salesperson.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's been I, – I have so many visions of my um, past corporate environment where it's just really so appalling that you, you had the and – and the lack of leadership I think is so important in – Pretty much every aspect of business and and of course, what we talk about on this podcast is innovation, but innovation can't happen and 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 I guess you, your experience on this but but personally, innovation can't happen if happen if you've got a team that just doesn't feel valued, that doesn't feel like it's got a purpose and it doesn't have the right support and the right leadership, and so that you feel like you're engaged in your workplace. So, and it seems to be, that, that seems to be the biggest stumbling block from what I can see in, in innovation.
0: And there's such a tie when we do research on it, when we, where we're actively working with companies to increase their happiness, innovation goes up as much as 300 or 400%. Wow. Yeah. Well, we, what happens in the human body? When we are feeling a positive emotion, again, it could be happiness, it could be joy, it could be pleasure, it could be any one of a number of valued, uh, any one of the things that you're talking about connected to purpose, when we feel that way, it seems that the right side of the brain, the right hemisphere of the brain, and the left hemisphere of the brain begin communicating better together, thereby creating a holistic view of any situation. Now when you have and it's and it's, it's a view it's as if it's as if when you are feeling good let's just leave it at that it's as if when you yeah. are feeling good your brain literally works better you start you could say you're firing on all cylinders and when you're firing on all cylinders and you're able to take that upgraded elevated look at the problem you come up with different solutions same thing happens when you when you are when uh, a leader has a is faced with a problem and he or she is able to get the team uh, into the same heart rate variability. So if we can get people into their hearts, the same kind of thing happens. We that you, you see entrainment in the team and you see people get to a deeper level inside themselves, thereby coming up with novel solutions to the problem rather than just the same old, same old.
1: Oh, that's very, that's actually really, really cool. I didn't realize those, that they're significant numbers that you can increase it by that amount.
0: Oh, yeah. That's That's incredible. That's what turns me on about it is that, is that the numbers are really, productivity going up 31 to 37%, those kinds of things. Wow. Those numbers are really significant. And and it's not the problem is the word. The problem is the 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 fact that you talk to uh, leaders of a company or you talk to the CEO and you say, well, you know, what I do is I teach happiness. Oh God, you know, it's not my job to make happy. <laughs> Oh, God forbid we don't want to be happy. Uh, Um, We want to think think that someone is actually trying to create a soft skill and make it work, you know. Uh, It's really funny because everybody says they want it. Everybody says they want their people to be happy at work. But when you talk to them, first of all, about measuring it or about teaching it. Mm -hmm. I think I I grew up in an organization that um, desired to keep us all on edge, and we had, we were very fast growing. And I remember uh, we would, we were moving from one office to another because we kept outgrowing them. And oddly enough, the first office that we were in had this orange carpet. Now, back in the whatever it was, the 70s or 70s, you uh, know, a lot of those Everybody had an orange carpet, you know, that rust orange or whatever it was called. Yeah. Yes. That, that was the thing. Well, after we made about three moves. And the company was growing in like crazy we were about to move into a building that we were that we were building ourselves you know we were finally successful enough we're going to build our own building and i and i reported to the ceo and i went over there one day and said hey look um when we move to this new building uh can we have like gray carpet can we have something? And back in those days, the, the, the colors were like gray and mauve, you know? And, uh, and, and and I asked him very specifically, I said, this carpet is just really harsh. And I can't figure out where you're buying it. Nobody even sells it anymore. And he goes, of course they don't. I have it specially dyed. I said, oh, that's gorgeous. Our carpet specially dyed. I said, why would you do that? He said, uh, it, it. You're right. It makes you edgy, and I want everyone on edge.
1: Oh, Ew. Yes. <laughs> but but was, it, was it a positive edgy? <laughs> what? Was it a positive edgy?
0: Well, no. <laughs> it was just edgy. You know when you're growing really fast. Um, I. This is something I've noticed again because I've worked. I one my first. 10 years of speaking engagements were with ink magazine. So, you know, we would go out and we would do these customer, these customer conf customer, what do they call strategy conferences? And uh, you know, these were fast growing companies. And one thing I have noticed over the years is that the, the people at the top of the organization that just thrive on that adrenaline don't realize that the people that really have to actually do the work, they get burnt out after about two years on having to live with that much adrenaline and that much stress. People just can't maintain it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is it, what can, what could listeners, if they're running their business now and they think, okay, I totally get it. Clearly I want to increase productivity and innovation in my business. And how is there, are there simple things that you can do? Clearly this is a big, 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 big subject. But, yeah, are there simple things that that leaders can do?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Some of the things I teach are about a leader looking for for everybody's strengths, to to become a strength spotter, to train your brain to look for someone's strengths when they're talking to you. For instance, if you say to somebody, tell me something about a time when you did something you were proud of. When someone is talking about something they're proud of, they're always going to be telling you about their strengths. So yeah. just that simple turn of conversation, perhaps on a Monday morning, when you're talking to folks coming in the door, and they tell you about their weekend, and you say, wow, did you do anything over the weekend you're really proud of? Uh, then listen. Listen with a whole new set of ears to see what that person's strengths are. And then affirm those strengths let them know what they heard you know give them words of appreciation uh, anchor that by saying oh you know I noticed when you did this in the office I guess that's the same thing and we really have to listen to people differently and Mm -hmm. praise them what we do know from the scientific literature is that a high performance organization has five times more positivity than negativity so a high performance leader is delivering praise and celebration and goodwill and recognition and all of those positive things five times more than they are criticizing or trying to change someone because they're not doing it the right way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, and you know, so my instant thing is this appraisal system that we, you know, many companies get in, well, they do the annual appraisal and, and it seems to me that most of that is again, negatively driven. Like you've done all of these, we want you to improve in this area and this area, et cetera. And I, so I'm guessing just from listening to you that that may have the opposite effect than, than, than it's just, you know, meant to do
0: that's exactly what it does. It does have the opposite effect because when you are speaking to someone about their strengths, their performance goes up over 36%. So I'm telling you what a wonderful job you're doing and being specific about the wonderful things that you've done. uh, You're, you're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to walk out of there feeling pumped and you're going to do a better job. However, if I call you in there to tell you about your weaknesses, your performance is going to go down because you're going to walk out of that room feeling like crap. Now, So what I teach people is to build what I call a big, deep, gorgeous, emotional bank account. So notice people doing stuff right, comment about it, let them know when they do something that you consider quote unquote right, um, tell them how they are adding to the success of the team by doing that. So when you do this, then the team benefits by and so people are connecting behavior with that, with a certain type of um, outcome. And yeah. when, you do, when you do that frequently, when you do it daily, or when you go to gratitude daily, and when you say to people, you know, I really appreciate how you worked on that project. Here are the things I really loved about it. Um, people feel good. And it's, it's almost as if we have a little checklist in our head, and we're putting those little check marks down. And when I know that you're more apt to see my strengths, and you comment on them over time. When you do have to comment about something I'm doing negatively, I'm more likely to take that in stride. Yeah, I know that you know who I am. So I, I, I talk about building that big, deep, gorgeous emotional bank account, because we are going to have to withdraw from it from time to time. And if you don't have it, the person feels very depleted.
1: Okay, so that that because I was you know as I, as you were speaking there, I'm going well. How do you deal with a with, you know when they've totally cocked something up? But clearly, you've just answered that by saying they feel they know they they know they're loved, they know they're valued in the organisation. So it, it does give you the opportunity to if a problem has does happen that you can manage it and they'll handle it. Is yeah, that that makes so much sense actually.
2: I I work a lot. I'm sorry, please go ahead. (laughs) Yes, I I work a lot with creative people and I have my entire career. And you wouldn't get off first base being negative with with creatives because it has to work off positive energy. Now, I do get the feeling at times, and there are breeds of managers. And I've seen them and worked with them in creative organisations, where they take the uh, they, they work the stick rather than the carrot approach. And they and I've seen them get quite offside with creative people. But funny thing is, they don't even realise it. They think they're being a good manager by concentrating on the weaknesses. Like we've got to keep it, you know, increase productivity keep working on the weaknesses, and that if you overpraise people, that's just a soft approach to management. That's not going to be very effective. And it's pretty dispiriting, actually, to see that. Uh, But thankfully, is it fair to say that times are changing with that style of management?
0: Well, people are changing. That's what's changing. The, The last two younger generations that have come into the workplace are demanding something different. So if that's what they get when they get into a company, they just leave. Yeah. And then you have to do it all over again. And you'll do it all over again until you say, wait a minute, maybe it's me, not them.
2: Yeah. yeah. I'm, and, and the other thing I've noticed, and you mentioned KPIs, and it's great to have KPIs on, on soft skills, but that that often doesn't happen or, or that that's something that... that Needs to improve, but so often KPIs are on uh, judged on very left brain benchmarks, and that ends up being the culture uh, within the company where the soft skills are really undervalued.
0: Well, I think that's one of the reasons that the happiness index exists. You know that we can we can actually now look at these things with a scientific eye, without any of without any of the stigma. And that's what we're measuring. Over here, we would call it a KPI. You would call it a KBI. But uh, we we are we are measuring the things that matter to performance. Yep. And I think when we start really making that connection between someone's happiness, well being, positivity, whatever you want to call it, and their performance, then we then we start getting it. And I I really think it's happening. Uh, I just think it's. Sometimes it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks.
2: Although it's <laughs> yeah, it's <certainly laughs> but it's great right. to have the science behind it. That that, that, yeah. that that's terrific. And that's
0: what's made it easy because you know before the science was behind it, uh, it was a it was a notion that we did better when we felt happier, when we felt good about our jobs, when we felt valued, when we felt connected, when we felt. You know, when we felt we were fulfilling our purpose by being there. I actually love what's happening because uh, the young people are driving change. Uh, They won't settle for anything less. Now, what's going to happen if this stuff we're going through right now crashes the economy? Who knows? Who knows? Mm. We, we just don't know what's going to happen but i think we're moving in the right direction there are so many companies that are applying for uh happiest places to work best places to work the top Inc. 500 you know the ink people they all all these organizations now are measuring these quote unquote intangible uh attributes which have a tangible effect
2: i think they're going to be so valuable in in these times i was in a client workplace all last week actually and with uh you know the events at the time of this recording being uh you know pretty full-on that it was very clear that the only approach was to say okay it's a tough time but we're going to smile We're going to use our skills and pull ourselves through this because that's the only way. And we're going to have to be kind to each other in in the process. But that was, it it was such a visceral experience. You could feel it through the building and you could see, look, this is absolutely going to need the, 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 the right kind of happiness to be a thread in this, even when, you know, there's a reasonable, amount, quite an amount of bad news coming in.
0: I just wrote a piece on what happened. Should, I think it was called, uh, Should You Believe Everything You Think? <clears throat> and it was, it was very directly about positive emotion and the effects of positive emotion on the body and things that leaders can do. Because when we are in a state of positive emotion, our, our immune system is stronger. We're producing the T cells that fight off infection. When we are in the state of positive emotion, we're producing more serotonin, which helps us sleep and rest and digest. If you look at all the different chemicals that our body produces when we are in a positive state, these are exactly the the chemicals we need in our bodies to stay strong and not get sick.
1: Yeah, exactly. And
2: that's really important then for leadership, even more so than to really create that in the workplace because that's people spend more time in the workplace than than, than they you know, do it in their personal time.
0: Exactly. And because emotions are so contagious, um, the, and, and because the lead the, the actions of leaders are magnified 10 or 20 times the, the, the actions of a coworker, you know, you're going to look to your leadership. So when a leadership is when a, a leader is able to, um, Stay steady during a time like this, and that's really what I talked about, you know, is the kinds of things that one can do to hold oneself together and 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 feel okay about where you are, knowing you've taken the right precautions, of course, of course you know, you don't want to be reckless, uh, but once that's done, you can't do anything about it. You know, you have to just—you have to pay attention to the work that needs to be done. Uh, do it with a smile on your face. Uh, be very empathetic to what people are going through, because yeah. you don't—you don't know which member of your staff is—is is watching too much of the news and getting too depressed yeah. or what they're worried about in their own family and things like that. I—this um, is this is like a runaway train. Mm. And, and we so
2: have it certainly
0: to, is. We have to pay attention. A- a- but we don't have to get on the train.
2: Yeah, exactly no, 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 it's a great way to put it, and and then is it okay also for the leader to show vulnerability oh, in yes. this process?
0: Oh yes, that's what people are looking for in their leaders. That's what people right. are looking for. They're looking. They're looking to know that their leaders are human, that they have feelings. Um, that's, I think in the last 10 years, the thing that I feel is so valuable in the workplace, uh, you know, the, the years ago, God forbid a leader cried, God forbid a female leader cried. Um, yeah, yeah, we had to hold it together no matter what. Um, and that's not real. That's not real. Healthy. It's not healthy at all. And I think these new practices are exactly that. These new practices are healthy because when we are in those positive states, it turns on the whole parasympathetic nervous system, which is the side of the body, which is the side of the nervous system that helps us repair, that helps our bodies repair. We're self-repairing individuals for the most part. If you cut your finger, you know, it's going to heal now, if you cut it off, you may need help. You may need medical help. But if you have a burn or a cut or a scraped knee, uh, you know you clean it off, and and your body is going to heal it because we, we are healing machines. We are able to heal, uh, but not if that process is being interrupted by anger or by fear.
1: As soon as you have that element of fear come into something everything changes it's a very weird thing and i and i i hope that listeners can maybe reference back to their own situation and realize that you know if you're trying to create something and you're coming at it from a place of fear a place that you know like for example if you're in a business and you've, you you want to you you now urgently need innovation because you've got a competitor chasing you That is a place of fear and it's very hard to be creative in that environment. But if you can get ahead of it and bring in some of these techniques you're talking about with your team, then you're always ahead. It's just a nicer place to be working from.
0: And, And that's really where I think gratitude and appreciation play a huge role. Uh, One of the practices, and I call these things positivity practices, one of the practices, or I should say two of the practices that I teach uh, leaders are to, you know, when you sit down in the team, at the team table to have a team meeting, before you get started, uh, go around quickly and just, you know, say one thing you're grateful for today. So what happens is that everybody gets on that same wavelength of gratitude going into the meeting. Opens. I, I look at it as opening up their brain. One of my clients has, at my suggestion, put this great big jar on the table. And these, in her team, they write down the gratitude. And she's got all these great little colored pieces of paper. So when you come in now for the team meeting, you sit down and you write down something that you're grateful for. And you speak it out loud. And then you put that little piece of paper in the jar. So month after month after month after month now, they've been doing this, and there's a jar full of gratitude sitting on the table that wow. really speaks, yeah, it's, it's sort of a visible uh, symbol of their uh, of, of their gratitude. And then at the end of a meeting, I do something called a circle of appreciation. Now, my preference is that people stand when they do this, and my preference is also they move away from the table. Now, some conference rooms aren't large enough to do that. But when I do a meeting, I try to make sure there's enough room to get people from the table into a circle without anything in the middle. And we go around and we use a process. It's called the circle of appreciation ritual. And all we do is say, I appreciate. And each person says one thing they appreciate about the meeting they had today. And everyone leaves feeling so good because they look at other people in the circle when they do it so they're making eye contact they're looking around the circle and they're almost always smiling and they say you know i i appreciate the interaction we had today i appreciated the amount of truth that showed up today i appreciated the the transparency that was evident today i appreciate the vulnerability that you had today oh it's magnificent
1: yeah that that's i can't i actually that's really really exciting and and um I, I, yeah,
2: because sometimes you see in meetings that, that especially when you know, there's had to be some tension and uh, conflict in there, that this is a way of letting that out, that it was okay to have a uh, you know, pretty honest discussion, but you come out of it without having that hanging around. So is this a way of helping let off steam?
0: it's a, it's also a form of closure that uh, eliminates right. the, for the people to go out into the hall and talk about the meeting.
1: Yeah. Look, you know, I really want Eric's to share a story about one of his clients in Fiji. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking him nicely to, sh- because they're on a, at the end of the week they have, uh, and it's not quite as, as, um, as uh, detailed as what you do, but when Eric's first came back from visiting this client in Fiji, the first trip he had, he explained their Friday afternoon ritual. And um, so, you know what, I'm going to get Eric's to explain it because it's just a very nice way to end a week.
2: So this is the uh, famous kava drinking ceremony. And in Fijian society, this happens all the time. It's part of the, the, the culture, and it's a lovely part of the culture. So the carva uh, root drink that they have that that uh, that they hand around in a circle, so like your circle of appreciation. So in in that society, everyone gathers round in a circle. It's not alcohol because what happens, of course, in alcohol at the end of the week in a workplace, alcohol is as has a weird effect on people and you get a lot of aggression as well. Carver is a mellowing drink. It's not alcoholic. It's, it, it, it's quite mellowing. But the idea is you gather in a circle and you just, or you just talk about things, but it, it, it lets out the weak. It's a very uh, friendly way of doing things. And uh, but you're not, you, know, you you're not off in little groups. The the circle actually makes a difference because it, uh, cause everyone's in the same circle. Uh, you don't have little cliques going on. It's really interesting, and it takes a while the, the to uh, carry out the, the ceremony, if you like, because you're just sitting out, sitting down and chilling out. You pass around the carver bowls. And and this goes on throughout society. It goes on through the evenings. You know, you 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 watch sports games with the with the carver bowl. And yeah, yeah, and they're
1: also, I might add, Fijians. Some of the happiest, most delightful, warm, loving people. So I wonder whether that is part of what makes them that. Actually, it's quite interesting.
0: Well, I've studied circle work for a number of years. I have a beautiful circle work teacher. And I also studied with Angelus Arian, who's a a cross-cultural anthropologist. She's no longer with us. And she taught us different rituals that have been in, you know, every society from the very, very, very beginning. And every society has some rituals involving circles. So the, right. the 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 configuration itself, the mathematics of the 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 sacred geometry in the circle itself is extraordinarily powerful. And when you pass along in the in the work that I've done, when you when you pass along the um, the talking stick, it signals everyone else to listen to the one person speaking, right. and that way everybody gets their moment or a few moments uh, without being interrupted, without being challenged. Uh, So when the rules, or I should say the guidelines are set correctly, it it becomes a sacred circle.
2: That's fascinating because it has, yes, the the effect it has on on discourse is quite different to if you are lined up and, you know, School oh, desolation, or in, in, in little groups and all of that sort of thing, and where people get excluded, and so on. that 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 that's terrific. I yes, the talking stick I've I've heard of, and, uh, and 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 that's the way it works.
1: Yeah, I was I was really lucky because that whole um, process of the talking stick was taught to me as a child, and I had uh, a relative who was trying to. Um, mediate a feud between four of us very young children I think we were about you know I was probably the eldest I think at the time at maybe about 12 and we went down from there and uh and you know at that stage of life you're all trying to kill each other but she sat us all in a circle and told us that one by one we had to air our grievances how we felt about what was going on and and then um and yeah, so in the end we we all gave each other a hug and loved each other again and and I learned so much from that event.
0: That's powerful. That is really powerful. I love yeah,
1: it. Yeah, I was yeah, it's really I was very lucky that I went through that to be honest. It's it's actually helped me in so much of my communication about and, and it's probably one of my weaknesses because I'm a bit hyperactive, but I don't tend to listen as well. And I, and I, and I'm. Eric's is laughing his head off here, by the way, just to. <laughs> <laughs> are,
0: are you two in the same room? Uh, sorry, are you two in the same room?
1: Oh, yeah, we're sitting next to each other, which we do a lot of our day, poor darling. I don't know how he puts up with me, really. It's quite entertaining. So.
0: As, we're about, as we're talking about circles, one of the techniques that I use when I'm working as a consultant is something I call a wisdom circle. Right. Uh, and that's one of the ways that I'm able to get people to talk about um who they are when they're at their best or who the company is when it's at its best. I've worked with companies that have gotten bought by other companies. Uh, I worked with a a large banking system down here in Florida where they had, they bought the bank and then basically fired all the people and brought in people from other banks. And they wanted me to come in and, and develop all their service standards. And I said, boy, what an insult that is. And they looked at me and said, what? I said, well, you just told me you You hired all the smartest people in the business. So you hire the smart people in the business and then you go out and get a consultant and they tell them what to do. That's not the way I would do it. So I got the permission to do wisdom circles and um, I did 12 of them. I think we would sit or maybe there were 10 wisdom circles with 12 people in them. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. We would sit uh, 12 people in a circle, no table in the middle, you know, same situation that we're talking about. And each person would go around and I would, I had a series, I think I created eight different questions and we would go around. And basically what I was asking each one of those person, well, each one of those people was when they had experienced customer service at its best, what did it look like? And boy, everybody had a story. And so I did this over with over a hundred some odd people. And then I went back and took everything they told me. And then, of course, I had by that point I had 20 years of experience teaching customer service, so uh, or customer care as I used to call it. It was easy to put together service standards. And as I told the story, I went out then, and we did um, big workshops for like 1,200 people. We just went from place to place to place until all 1,200 people had seen it. But um, I could honestly tell the story that this is what you told me. This is what you know is 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 the way to take care of customers this is what you know because you told me and that's how i learned it and oh my gosh it was so well accepted
1: yeah yeah
0: because it was not my work
1: exactly
2: that's that's really fascinating because from our point of view in terms of innovation being based on 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 customers and not just something that the leadership may dream up. So do you see the application of that going through into innovation that the, 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 this relation to, to customer care uh, that you can extrapolate that through and, and keep taking that through to how you might innovate for the customer?
0: Well I, of course and, and you know I've done, um, I've done customer circles as well. Uh, right. the, the really brave companies—I mean, the really brave companies—allowed me to do that process with their customers, where right. and, and then uh, and then be there to observe it and really see that that the customers had something really valuable to say that was completely unlike what they were delivering.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because that that goes beyond the traditional focus group of which I have done many, and I've often been uncomfortable in the the very formal settings and so on. There's a whole other topic, and intuitively your customer circle just makes perfect sense, and uh, because you, you you will gain so much more from that. Because is it fair to say then, in that, in that setting, that people are more relaxed, that they're more open, rather than feeling like they're being interrogated?
0: Exactly. Well, in the case where we did customers, and I did this one of the, with one of the largest banking systems in New York, um, we set it up in such a way that... Um, the customers were relaxed because we brought them in for a cocktail hour
2: first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we had we had um, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres with the customers and with the bankers. So oh, they wow. first, they first met in a very um, uh, relaxed. Uh, sort of informal setting. And then the, my partner, I was working with a change management specialist and uh, she would take the customers off into another room and explain to them what was going to happen next. And I would take the bankers off to another room and explain to them, um, you know, give them some, some pointers about customer care and what they should, you know, the kinds of things that we were going to be doing because it was a two day workshop. So they were going to be with me that night and then the next day. And then we brought wow. them. All that we brought them all in together and we would put a um, literally a circle of 12 customers uh, in the middle. And then we had we had rearranged the chairs. So all the bankers were surrounding the those 12 customers and they were not allowed to. Um, and there was an empty chair in the circle um, and they had to ask for permission and they had to come into the circle and they were allowed to ask the customers one question. And they were allowed to ask one follow-up question, and there was to be no rebuttal. So, if the customer said, you know, if the if the banker felt that the customer had said something that wasn't true, they weren't allowed to say, "Oh, that's not true. We don't do it that way." Uh, To be considered, you know, what they what they say was to be considered sacrosanct. Uh, In the meantime, uh, she was she was uh, monitoring the circle, and I was taking notes. So I got everything those customers said word for word. So then we then took the customers' words and incorporated them back into the workshop. So the customer's presence was there the whole time.
2: Oh, bravo for that. Uh, that, that, that that's yeah terrific. We're completely on the same page with that because oh, I would and, and, uh, that. how did the customers feel about it?
0: Oh, they loved it. Well, because they were, they were being in their opinions.:
1: Yes, exactly.
0: You know, they were being treated as experts. So they were. we were saying, what do you need? What can we do that would make your experience with us better? What would make you happier with us? Uh, that particular banking system had done something that angered their customers. So this was part of um, them trying to really go very deeply into what customers really needed because they had no idea that the changes that they had made would have such a negative impact.
2: Right. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, like many in systems, like in, like many large companies, the decisions are made at the top, not at the ground and, level.
2: And and did the customers feel that the presence of the decision makers was important to the process?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it made it made them feel important, and it made them feel valued. The same thing that we were talking about before with employees. It's all the same. It doesn't matter whether it's an internal customer or an external customer. We all need the same things as human beings.
2: Yes, that's a very important distinction because we, you know, in in the world of acronyms, you know, B2C, B2B, which is dehumanizing in a way in itself that in, in B2B, your business customers are human beings as well. They're not just... A stakeholder, a supplier, any of the other labels, they're actually people.
0: Well, I have found uh, that it's easier for a company to do things. um, I don't want to say unethical. What's the word I'm looking for? That are not nice. Uh, It's easier for a company to do things. When we when we depersonalize it. So when a company wants to cut off a vendor or a company wants to close a branch or close a store or any of that kind of stuff, it's easier for them to make a business decision when they can say it's only business. As soon as they as soon as they personalize it and make it people to people as opposed to business to business, it's a little harder to do that.
2: Yes, and I guess why the relationship then is very important and having an honest, open relationship. So I guess on that topic, have you run a customer circle with B2B? Or do you think that has its potential, like you might have a group of suppliers? I know sometimes... Yeah, those sort of relationships can be difficult because you've got competitors and and, and so on. It's just led me on this train of thought, that's all. Uh, But because they are are people, and so maybe how you communicate with them and bring them in a bit more as part of the relationship. So even if you have to make a hard decision, at least you have the relationship to be able to have an honest discussion with them. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I've done... um... You know, you're saying that I'm going, yeah, I did that somewhere. But where the heck was it? I think I did something at a conference. Right. That had suppliers together. Um, I did do for a company that had hired me, a software company that hired me about two years. They were having some real issues with their customers. We would go right on the customer site and do it. Right. we would, we would call in, we would ask them what their, we did have a table in that case because we would feed them lunch. We would ask them what their favorite restaurant was. And we would have the food, the, the my client would have the food sent in and I would be there with, um, th- I think it was three members of the client team because it was a highly technical product and I couldn't answer. Right. questions. So uh, but, but the people that I showed up with, were t- were were really trained ahead of time, that they uh, what it looked like to not be defensive, uh, not not to not to not to make the customer wrong. Uh, they were they were prepped uh, very thoroughly ahead of time, so that the customer felt comfortable through the whole situation. But these were these were literally companies that had had uh, problems with the uh, with the software company.
1: Yeah, you know, like I think that's the take-home really, and I remember being taught this as a child is just treat people how you like to be treated. And and yes, remember that we are all human beings and that that you want to be valued, that you want to feel like you can contribute to the world.
0: And I think we probably need a remedial class in that. <laughs> No, That's a bit people, sad, isn't it, really? I think people, I'm dealing with someone right now, and it's a very, very small business. It's a, it's a young man that I'm dealing with that shot some videos for me. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm appalled. He's a sweet guy. He's wonderful. I've used him before, and he's over a week late delivering these things, and I need them for a project, and he's not answering his text, his phone, his, uh. his you know any other way that I'm communicating with him, uh, and I cannot get him to understand my position. It seems either that, or he was run over by a truck over the weekend. I don't know, and I feel terrible if he was. But I don't think that some people understand the impact that they're not living up to their promises makes on makes to others.
1: Unfortunately, you're right, and it doesn't matter what size business, and you, it, it can be from the one man. Show to to whatever corporates, they get tied up in their own little world, and they just forget. And I, I think so. Yes, if there's a take home from this, it's the biggest one to me is just treat people like you would like to be treated. And I'm sure that most people would go, well, if I want something, I want it. I don't want it, and <laughs> if I want it now, I don't want it in two months' time or something. You know, yeah, it's yes, just
2: but people don't realize the of that of that lack of communication
0: they first of all they don't uh, and i do i do see this um i i was always brought up in business to to and, and what i taught for all these years with customers is even if you don't have what the customer needed call them back anyway to tell them that you're still waiting on the answer yeah yes. You know, totally. that's how they don't feel at the end of the day, wow, she told me she'd call me. But what I am finding these days is that when you when you call someone on that and said you told me you'd call me Thursday at 4, and they go, oh, I didn't call you because I didn't have an answer for you. Well, call me anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, th- I, th- I don't know. <laughs> you and I are on the – we are all on the same boat in the same place here because it's one of my biggest bugbears when I'm dealing with anyone is is to make sure that you're keeping, you know, like, okay, sometimes something slips through, I get it. But the amount of times that I just tear my hair out, I remember talking to a young girl, you know, a couple of years back and, and she made an appointment and didn't keep it, just didn't bother ringing. And then it was like a week later and she finally, and I said, well, I waited for you like a week ago. And she said, and I actually had an open conversation with her because I was curious it was happening a lot to me and I'm going, what am I missing? And she said, well, there are a lot of other clients out there so if you don't like the way I treat you, you can go, I'll find someone else. She actually was really blasé about it and I went,
0: okay. wow,
1: okay. What can you do to
0: argue with that?
1: You yeah. don't want my
0: You're obviously not a good match.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, clearly it just wasn't going to go anywhere because I, I just can't operate like that. But... um but it happens all the time, and I, I would almost say on a weekly basis there's somebody that I go, hmm, didn't hear from them, you know. Anyway.
2: But is it fair to say then, uh, uh, as one more takeaway, that a company culture where people are happy and firing on all cylinders, as you said earlier, Joanna, that, that they will feel responsive to the people out there that they're working with outside of the organization, that, that they will feel more of that empathy rather than being so task-oriented and depersonalized that, um, yeah, it's not going to matter. But that, that, that must be, I suppose, a pivotal difference.
0: Well, and I think it depends on, you know, when when leaders treat their employees that way, when leaders treat their teams that way, the teams are going right. to treat the customers that way. It com- It always comes from the top. So if uh, if your boss ignores you and your and you're, and your boss has that kind of behavior, you're just you're just going to pass that along, unless you carry with you a uh, you know a, a set of values that you learned at home and and you're not going to go against them no matter what. But by and large, we're going to behave the way the culture behaves. Yeah, that's yeah. why culture. That's why culture is so important, and I don't think we dig in nearly deeply enough um to how how do you how do you change a culture how do you measure a culture how do you how do you look at a culture uh it, because culture is like the roots of a tree you know it's underneath the tree you can't see it but you yeah, see right it, you see it in the in the in the fruit if the if the root system is good if the values are good you see that in the fruit of the tree because the, yeah. the-
1: this is wonderful yeah that's great
0: yeah so i think that it's, 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 it's a bigger deeper conversation about yeah. Yes. yeah yeah
1: well you know on that maybe we'll we'll um have to chat again about company cultures and how we can change them but maybe for today we better wrap this up i i have oh i was so looking forward to this conversation and i now know why <laughs> firstly i had a big smile on my face that I don't think will leave me all day. So thank you. Oh, I look. That. I and, and, you know, Joanna, you have, I've gone through several of your blog posts and stuff and they're really valuable. Where can others get a hold of your stuff? How can they find you?
0: Well, I am at returnonhappiness.com. That's because yeah, well, i a return on happiness. And uh, I have an online course in positive leadership and that can be found at positiveenergizer.com.
1: Okay, we'll, we'll put links to those in the show notes anyway for, for people that can get in touch with you. But I, I highly recommend if you uh, want to go down this track of innovation or creativity and just creating a better happier workplace and where take the first step yeah absolutely you, you need to do that and and i just love what you do Joanna. so thank you so much for sharing that with us well, i was gonna say this morning that's your night but whatever day yes. it is. <laughs> thank,
0: thank you, you so, so much. much i actually love sharing it so you made me very happy as well
1: fantastic <laughs> well enjoy your evening
0: I will, thank you so much.